Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard along with Rhino in the Element Well studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday Eve. (laughs) Yep, one more day in this week in December. It is hard to believe that we are just tracking forward here accelerating toward the end of 2023, pretty soon 2024, always feels like you're sort of renewed, refreshed, starting a new year, lots of optimism. I'm always optimistic. The days start getting longer. Yeah, looking forward to that. When are we going to hit the shortest day of the year? A couple of days, huh? About Oh, uh, yeah, when is that? 21st? Right around Christmas? 21st, 22nd? Something like that. We got a little, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, little weather moving through this weekend. I don't think it's anything severe, but uh, cold front accompanied by some precipitation, right on Saturday. Then it uh, will clear out, cool off just a tad. We look forward to that. Also, I got to share a feel-good story, if that's okay. Go for it. Something that just happened. This morning, I have posted it on my social media. No secret that I'm a big Journey fan, of course. I don't think there's any secret about that. Those who know me love the band and their music. And uh, I've got a collection of Journey t-shirts that I have accumulated through the years, and a hoodie and hat, blanket, other stuff to celebrate the 80s rock group, and they were successful in the 90s as well, I might add, but they're very successful still on tour. Well, I walked in the local Starbucks a couple of months ago wearing one of my prized Journey t-shirts, and it turns out that one of the young baristas shares with me that he also enjoys Journey music. And so, of course, I'm eager to share with him photos from my experience attending Journey concerts, something I cherish a lot. And, of course, I, I start talking about the songs and the music and pointing him to various YouTube videos of uh, the group's famous tunes. 
And he's uh, enjoying that. All right, so I walk in this morning, <laughs> and he and another barista go to the back and come out, and they've got an LP of the Escape album. Wow. That they combined their funds to purchase for me as a gift, as a Christmas happy. Very cool. So I, I had to take a picture. Shout out to Vince and Richard, really good youngsters. And we'll talk sometimes. They'll ask me, hey, Mr. Gerard, what do you do? And I, I share that with them. And, of course, I give them a little, uh, a little background as well. And, and I, you know, sometimes they'll ask me questions. And, of course, I always oblige and try to help them out. Um, this is kind of a placeholder at this point. Uh, one of them's in school, and the other's working through some other stuff to continue to further their careers. But, you know, sometimes, I guess, music can unite, right? It, it's, uh, oh, yeah. it's a connector. And you, you wouldn't think it, but here are a couple of people that are decades younger than me, but uh, happen to share love for the same music. Uh, one day, by the way, I <laughs> after I wore the T-shirt, I walked inside and they kind of had this set up. They had their little their little Sonos Bluetooth speaker <laughs> set up in the store. And as soon as I walked in, <clears throat> one of them on their phone queued up <laughs> some Journey music that was pretty loud. There, people are looking around, and so that was their way of welcoming me. Uh, welcoming me into the store. But, you know, just a, a kind gesture. I mean, really made my day. And I, I don't know that I deserve it, honestly. You know, I, I got a little teary-eyed about it. Like, it just touched me in the heart that two young folks that I only know through them, them waiting on me from time to time. But I wonder, Rhino, that is it because I just treat them with respect as they should be treated? That maybe you've seen this. People get apoplectic about the dumbest things in retail. Oh, yeah. And they want to take it out on whomever is waiting on them. It doesn't matter what the setting is and what the, the transaction is. And I just like, man, life's too short. These aren't problems. Those aren't real problems. There are a lot of real problems. That ain't one of them that, I don't know, something isn't exactly perfect, right? It's not a half-calf soy latte. (laughs) Exactly. Whatever that means. (laughs) So, you know, and so I would encourage everyone out there, and I know we've got tons of good people that – tune into the show, and and I know they're not like that. But, you know, especially at Christmas when people are stressed and uh, and it's usually busy and congested and sometimes you have to wait, no matter what it is, just, just be respectful and patient and understand that they're doing their best. Now, if they're abusive and disrespectful to you, which is pretty rare, honestly, let's be honest, you know where you see it the most? Airports. Oh, my gosh. If there's some issue with your flight, 
Unfortunately, the poor ticket gate agent there is going to receive the wrath of everyone, like they're controlling the airplanes and the weather. It, and, and I know they get it. They, they represent the company. They got the uniform on, et cetera. But, wow, come on. Uh, as long as they're doing their best, which every time I've encountered those situations, they're working frantically to take care of everybody. Well, here's the experience. other key advice to keep in mind when dealing with anybody in the service industry yeah. at any level in any, in any field. If you encounter... One of the people that works in the service industry that is not going to give a rat's rear end how you feel about their performance. They're going to do it at their pace, their way, and with their intentions. Getting on their hind end and chewing on them from across the counter is not going to make them work any faster. That's so true. So the people that actually need the motivation to get a little get up and go and they're giddy up that's not going to work and the problem is if you keep doing that it becomes a, a habit that you form and you treat the good service industry workers the ones that are just trying to do their job that are just trying to make ends meet you do it to them too and they're not deserving of it it's absolutely true it's it's like we live in a society where we all want to pound of flesh somebody I don't know how people receive some sort of perverse satisfaction out of that. I showed them, oh, wow, okay, great. You're still nothing, honestly. Uh, you're, you're not superior, and it's this, I don't know, feeling of exerting power and control. It's, it's just this pound-of-flesh gotcha mentality. It's got to stop. It's pervasive, of course, in politics. Gotcha. Pound of flesh. It's like, yeah, but you're not you're not solving any problems. We see it all the time. People just are really good about pointing to problems, and we should. We absolutely need to to define and frame and and elevate problems to the to the discussion level, no doubt. But the most valuable people are those that Offer solutions to the problems. Okay, we get it. It's a problem. What is your solution? Help, help us out here. Let's look, let's work together to solve these problems, not just point to it. On the ceasefire text line, Curtis and Biloxi says, I call it the, quote, get spit in your food, end quote, attitude. <laughs> it's, uh, come on. Appreciate that little don't stop believing, which, of course, is from the Escape album. Appreciate that. That's awesome. Well, I just want to share that. Uh, gosh, I hope it made your day. Uh, certainly did mine. And they're good people. They're good people out there. Unfortunately, they don't get the recognition that the bad people do. So I'm recognizing Vince and Richard. They're good people. I want nothing but the best for those young guys. And I want to say from the heart, thank you, thank you, thank you. We're stepping aside for a break in the Element Well studio. Chuck Younger from the Mississippi State Senate at 1035, executive director of, of DOT, Brad White at 1205. we got a lot more to talk about. Please stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. <laughs> 
everyone it's middays live from the element well studio so we were just notified that i want to get this right there's some sort of bomb threat in process right now at the airport in tupelo mississippi so we're patching in someone i believe this is nancy lee that's present at the airport and um it is uh, where are you nancy welcome to the program where are you exactly I am in Tupelo, and the flight that usually leaves out about seven fifty-five. We were we were already on the air airplane, and um, I, I had my backpack under the seat, and happened to look up, and I saw someone, a gentleman, stick his head in and say, "Get everyone off the plane!" And someone stood up in front of me and started screaming, "Get off! Get off! Get off now!" And um, we thought it was a fire, but um, it was actually a bomb threat. So we got moved to the other end of the airport. Like we had to walk to the other end of the airport, and so and they're wow. fixing to try to start loading us here at just a moment. Okay, so does that mean at this point that they've cleared the the scene they as, have, as far as in, they brought in dogs? Okay, and um, cleared the airport and the. They're trying to get the airspace open up. Okay. Yeah, because that's the other thing that would happen. Um, okay, so you're I, – I mispronounced your name then. It's Your name is Nancy Lee McDade. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, yes. gotcha. I just yes. want to make sure we had it right. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> okay, thank you. So, uh, so you were on the plane. I want to make sure we recap this uh, accurately. You were on the plane. And I guess you were about – they were about to close the door, right? You were about to taxi no, out. Yeah, they were, they were going through, you know. Yeah. Here's your emergency exit. Blah yeah. blah blah. Mm-hmm. The the pre flight um, right. the pre flight instructions, making sure everybody's got their seatbelt exactly. on, stuffs under the chairs, and, and so forth. And then was it an airport official that uh, poked their head over the plane? I think it was. I think it was. According. Okay. And um and when I say everybody got up and ran off, it it was quite unnerving because mm, mm. it was not not orderly. Mm-mm. I mean, it was orderly, but it was very frantic. Yeah, as far folks as are like, panicking, stress, sure, absolutely, yeah. concerned. So then you went inside the airport, and then we they... Went inside the, and directly outside. We went through the airport and outside, and they took us as far away from the airport as they could on the property. Okay, I see. I'm with you. But you remained on airport property. Yes. Okay. Yes. They had been super sweet and super nice to us. The police, police airport security yeah. contour has been super nice. Okay. So then uh, after that, they came to you and said, look, uh, we, we've, uh, we've cleared the area, everything looks good, um, and, and it's secure, and then you're going about to get back on the plane, reboard the plane? It looks like they're trying to. They're, we hadn't started rechecking everybody back in, but it'll be just like a new flight. Everybody will have to go back to security, sure. the whole thing. Sure. So, but they brought us back to the terminal. Hmm. So. 
So I wonder if somebody called and said, hey, look, we got a bomb. Uh, did they indicate it was on board or just somewhere around well, the airport uh, property? My husband, my husband sent me something that said that it was a nationwide. That there are several airports, I oh. think, were being. Okay. This was an email. That's what we, I, we have been hearing. I see. Okay. So I'm wondering, I mean, I haven't seen anything, Rhino, uh, that, that indicates there's some sort of nationwide uh, alert, right, that they're shutting down airports across the that's nation, not, that they're... Well, they're, that's what WTVA was reporting. Okay. Okay. Um, we're, we're just, I didn't know if it was just Tupelo or other airports, but uh, crazy stuff for sure. Well, I... Uh, I think I think something, somebody sent me something in Palm Bluff, maybe it got shut down too. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Well, uh, and and you indicated as well that they've shut down the airspo- uh, airspace, which is no doubt the first thing that uh, FAA would do is is instruct air traffic control to to do that, and uh, and of course the pilots on all aircraft would get a, a notification, be notified, and they'd shut the airspace down. So, wow, that's uh, that's incredible. We are certainly glad that uh, you and everyone else is okay, that nothing happened. Looks like the situation has been resolved and cleared, and and I uh, hope you get back on that airplane and have just a fantastic flight. I know. I know. Every, like I said, I, I, I can't say enough about the security, airport security here and all the emergency officials here. Yeah. And um, it's... Uh, it was it's really weird. I called my husband and I said I was nervous all day yesterday. Mm-hmm. Kept having an uneasy feeling. Hmm. And he said you're just crazy. It's Christmas. <laughs> so yeah. I said, well, I said there's that mama's intuition. Huh. So sounds like you were were a bit prescient. Had had kind of a <laughs> premonition here and that's uh but it it does appear that everything's good to go and yeah. and we're certainly glad and happy to hear that and well, we appreciate you taking the time to call in, and uh, again, uh, I wish you a safe and uneventful flight like it should be. Well, Thanks a lot. Thank you very much, and thank you for calling, and um, you have a wonderful Christmas and a Merry Christmas. You too. Thanks so much, Nancy. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Take care. Thank you. All right. Uh, so are you seeing anything, Rhino? Is there is there kind of a nationwide situation here? I haven't been able to get nationwide because I've already found two headlines of bomb threats in the Magnolia State that weren't Tupelo this morning. Uh, so at, there was a airports? bomb threat at the Tupelo Airport. There's reports of a bomb threat at the Gulfport Biloxi Airports. And there's another report of a bomb threat at the Jewish Temple in Columbus. Oh, my gosh. Oh, people, people, people. So you never know, though, right? You you have to proceed as they did in Tupelo there, uh, in the most cautious manner. You you have to take it seriously. You just, gosh, dog, man. Come on, people. Gee whiz, you know you don't know if it's somebody playing a prank. And uh, I gotta tell you, does not the first thing or one of the first things that pops into your head, ten thousand people a day crossing over the border. How could you not be cognizant of that and how that might be a factor here? The FBI has already warned, have they not? They've told the public, the traveling public specifically, be vigilant, be careful. The FBI, that means that they're hearing chatter, they're hearing buzz. That ain't good. And they have attributed it to people crossing over. They don't know who the heck's among those people coming into this country. 
And we unfortunately have a president that doesn't care. He's more worried about securing the Ukraine border and protecting their sovereignty than he is the nation over which he presides ostensibly. That's upside down. It just is. Man. And this narrative that Republicans are holding aid to security hostage by demanding something be done to stem the tide at the border, that's just upside down. It's unbelievable. Well, we're, we're glad the situation seems to be clear uh, at Tupelo. We were just speaking to Nancy Lee McDade, a person who was on an aircraft, set to shut the door, taxi out, take off from the Tupelo airport. But uh, someone came on, security came on the plane, loaded up with people, bags and so forth, ready to go, and said, get off. I guess it, uh, it told him at that point, we have a bomb threat. And uh, they escorted them off to a safe area on the airport property, according to Miss McDade's information. You would think they wouldn't tell them that's a bomb threat well, until I was, they got them I was through the airport. That, but is, is that not your understanding based on the way she described it? The way she described it was that they, they found out what it was after they okay. had moved through the airport. They got off the plane through the airport and still on the premises, but away from everything. Okay. But I, I guess it Because if you start was, jumping on the plane and going, bomb, yeah, bomb, they're going to right. cause a, even more of a panic well, than I, you already had. I guess I maybe thought that just because she said it, it, it was stressful and a bit chaotic when they exited the airplane. But that could happen. But yeah, it, yeah, you have somebody stick their head on a plane that's fixing to get leave, off. get off the plane, yeah. that's going to be stressful. Well, the first thing you're going to think is there's, there, there's some safety problem, right. no doubt about it. And it could be a mechanical safety problem. It could range from that to a bomb or something else stupid going on. So to Anything from the toilet overflowing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was on an airplane years ago, uh, set to go at Dallas-Fort Worth, and they made us exit because the uh, uh, the ground crew found a, a problem with the windshield. Yeah, they got to replace the whole windshield. But, you know, and so they took us all out, gave, all off, gave us a voucher to eat lunch. And it was three hours later when we got on and took off. But you know what the problem was? The union was striking. The union was about to strike, and they were mad because they couldn't reach successful negotiations. So the ground crew, if you know anything about the way that stuff works, they can ground an airplane. You can't fly this thing. They can override the captain. We ain't getting on this airplane. And that's what it was. So, yeah, we found a little smidgen of a scratch in the windshield. Everybody off inconvenience three or four hours. We got to replace the windshield, which they didn't. We're coming right back with Chuck Younger from the Mississippi State Senate. Stay with us. Bring it on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. It's middays from the Element Well Studio. We welcome now Senator Chuck Younger. He represents District 17, Lowndes and Monroe Counties. Serves as the chair of the Senate Agriculture Committee and the vice chair of the Senate Economic Development Committee. Senator, thanks for coming on. Glad to be on, Gerard. Love your show, and I love your music you play, too. I <laughs> appreciate that, Senator. We uh, we are grateful that you could join us today. Gosh, we got less than a month. We're going to be uh, back at the Capitol. Uh, we got uh, lots of newcomers because we start a new, new term, certainly in the House and the Senate. Not quite as many. I think Senator Harkins told me the other night we have seven new senators. I believe that's, that's correct, which is a little fewer that's- than normal, right? That's correct. It's a lot fewer than normal. No, it's, I've been told that it's normally thirteen to fifteen, but um, yeah. Just look look forward to going back. Actually, it's going to be a lot easier going back into session than it will be being here at home during December because everybody wants to invite you to everything to ask <laughs> for all kinds of new money. That's right. That's pretty much the way it works. That uh, is a good uh, overview of that for sure. Good summary. So uh, let's talk about the Agriculture Committee and an issue that uh, lots of states are are discussing and considering legislation. Some have enacted it, and that has to do with uh, foreign nations acquiring our our agriculture farmland here in the state of Mississippi. What's going on there? What do you think? Well, I think it's a very um, it's a difficult situation because you have you have people, Americans, that are invested in these big companies. And the companies are mainly owned by Chinese or whoever. Yeah. And they're Americans are on on the boards. You know, it might be. I think there's like Sinjeta, I believe, has been told that eight Americans are out of out of the ten are on the board. And you know, it, it's just it's a two edged sword. We got to be real careful when we do this. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to try to do it through ag. It is an ag issue. But we want to get it right and make sure that we don't mess up. Because, you know, Chinese is our biggest customer for farmers. Yeah, yeah. Whether you like them or not, I know they're a hostile country, just like Russia. But um, they buy more of our of our stuff, soybeans, corn, and um, they're a good customer, yeah. whether you like them or not. Mm-hmm. Well, essentially, our farmers feed the the entire Chinese nation virtually. We do. We do. We feed the world. And, um, you know, <clears throat> I'm a farmer. I've been farming my whole life. And we have to go to the government, our government. We go to our government and tell them everything we do. We have to have crop insurance mm-hmm. um, to get our loans. The government knows everything we do. And that's probably why the prices of commodities are either at a level or either below level price. Yep. So we don't really get a good deal on getting our fair share of what we what we grow. We don't get a good price for what we're growing. Hmm. But um that's that's hard, you know, that's just the way it is. Yeah. But um you know, the farmer feeds America and you know, there's not many young farmers. I mean the I think the average farm age is like sixty. Well I'm sixty. So I'm a, I'm considered a young farmer. <laughs> Golly, well, so what do you what do you thinking in terms of legislation? And I agree with you. I mean, if I'm a farmer and I and I've got an asset land and a, 
a, a foreign entity, uh, in this case China, wants to acquire that land and they're willing to pay a, a, a fair price for it and, and I could financially benefit from that, you know, I, I don't want the government necessarily interfering with that. But on the other hand, I, I don't want them to do that and then turn it against us in some way. Right. Um, you know, the farmer's been working his tail off his whole life. And at the end of, uh, you know, he's getting close to seeing that he, he's at the end of his rope. Um, he's got grandchildren. He's got children. Um, he wants to leave them with the most that he can leave them with, whether sure. it's money or land. Sure. But, you know, we think that the, the bill is being drafted. All bills are being drafted left and right right now. And, okay. um, you know, we look forward to getting it right. Um, Farm Bureau is a big help with us on, in the Ag Committee. Um, Mike McCormick, um, sharp as a tack, yeah. he, he always keeps me with more knowledge of what's going on, especially when he goes back and forth to Washington all the time. Yep. Um, it, it's just, it's real complicated. You know, I was putting together a, a couple of well, four bicycles my wife ordered, and um, I was putting them together the other night, and every one of them had China, you know, yep. Chinese. I mean, they're all everything's made in China that we buy. So, you know, um, we got to get this bill done right. That's all I. You okay. Know, we got we got National Ag Law Center that's going to be helping us and giving us advice, and we're leaning on them to give us good advice on how we're going to draft this new bill. Yeah. Well, uh, you're walking a tightrope, and, and I know you're aware of that, but I, I appreciate you seeking input uh, from, from multiple subject matter experts, as you've indicated. I think that's going to be critical to, to getting this legislation right. Um, let's talk, Senator Younger, about some other priorities uh, that you're thinking about in the upcoming session. Well, you know, there's the talk of the uh, getting rid of the Mississippi income tax. Yeah. Um, look, I've got a lot of friends that are for it. I'm not one of those guys that's for it. You get rid of a third of your budget, how are you going to replace it? You're going to go after the property. You're going to have to go on after the property owners for taxation. The property owners to me in Mississippi are the most important people we have. I'm, and, and it's, I just, I'm not for getting rid of the Mississippi income tax. Okay. Um, we're going to, you know, there's talk of PERS. Mm-hmm. Um, we do need to change some things about PERS. Of course, I'm invested in PERS. Everybody I know, their sister and brother are invested in PERS. And everybody I see when I'm out and about in my district, they'll look at me and say, whatever you do with PERS, don't touch PERS. And, yeah. But we've got to maybe do some kind of legislation for the people that are coming into PERS, the new people. And, and um, I, I don't know. There's a lot of issues about it that we're going to be looking at, I believe, this session. Yep. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you've uh, had a chance to take a look at the article I wrote about it. It's I, I know it's been widely read, and I've tried to just lay out, here. here's how we got here, here's what the problems are, here are some potential resolutions to the issue, but uh, everybody I've talked to that, that serves in our legislature uh, is aware and, and believes we got we got to address it and do something. We do. We, you know, we've been kicking the can down the road, as uh, as former Senator Simmons uh, used to say. Um, now he's our um, 
Central Highway Commissioner, yeah. he used to say, kicking the can down the road, I know we'll forget that, and he's exactly right. Yeah. Um, but we, we, we do need to, to try to address it and, and fix it. Yep. What about the ballot uh, initiative process? Uh, you know, that's something that uh, we don't have anymore in the state of Mississippi based on a Supreme Court ruling, and we've had a couple of sessions with uh, some, some action, but they just kind of died, false starts. Where do you stand on that, Senator? Yeah, we need to get it back, but I, I don't think it needs to be – I don't think – you know – People vote for us to go down to Jackson to, to, to do the laws and to stand up for them. Yep. And, look, my number one thing is to stand up for the people back home, whether they're Republican or Democrats. When I get a phone call, and my phone calls, I mean, my number's out there. Yeah, I give it to everybody. So if they have an issue with an agency or something, they call me, and I try to get it fixed as best I can. But um, the ballot initiative, I, I think we do need to get it back. And um, but we, I don't think it needs to be quite so easy. I think we do need to make it <clears throat> a little bit um, not not say difficult, but it, it needs to be. It needs to be a little bit more difficult to get it passed. Well, I, so are I, you, are, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but mainly that seems to revolve around the number of signatures required. That seems to be the, the point of contention between the House and the Senate. The House's version, the bill that they forwarded, would would retain the same and keep the same calculation. Do you support, as, as do many in the Senate, a, a higher threshold there? That's, yes, that's yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. Yeah, gotcha. Well, uh, hopefully we can get something done. I'll just share with you, that's that's probably one of the things we hear here uh, most frequently from uh, from our, our listening base, our audience, that they'd like to see that reinstated. So hopefully you guys can get together and, and work something out. But and, Senator, and I don't want to I don't want to take the people's freedom away. You sure, know, I mean, sure. Um, but at the, at the same time, I mean. Why have legislators if if you you know if you want to just do the ballot initiative on everything? Yeah. So, well, um, hopefully we can do something thoughtful and and uh, make something happen there that kind of works for everybody. We're out of time here, but we certainly appreciate it, Senator. Thanks so much for calling in and and sharing your insight. I'm sure I'll be seeing you down at the Capitol between now and then. I hope you and your family have the merriest of Christmases and a and a great New Year. Thank you, sir. You too. I enjoy your show, and I want to give a shout out to Senator Jason Barrett and Jeremy England. They texted me and asked for one. <laughs> All right, awesome. Appreciate that. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well Studio. Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk, Mississippi. Hang all the mistletoe, I'm gonna get to know you better. This Christmas, and as we trim the tree, how much fun it's gonna be together. Welcome back, everyone. It's middays from the Element Well studio. So we appreciate Senator Younger joining us in the prior segment. But before that, we spoke to someone at the Tupelo airport where apparently there was a bomb threat. She was on board an aircraft about to depart and uh, we're told to deplane, escorted to a corner, uh, is the way she described it, of the property in the airport. 
and then I believe learned that it was it was a bomb threat. And so we brought in uh, our news director J.T. Mitchell, Super Talk Mississippi News, to uh, share some additional information. What you got, J.T.? Hey, Gerard. Yeah. So bomb threats have been going haywire this morning across the state, as Mississippi seems to be the latest in a trend of what's becoming a national story. Yesterday, Oregon had 18 different locations across their state. Synagogues, airports, schools received bomb threats. And now Mississippi, we've had four this morning. Okay. Besides Tupelo, where else? So Tupelo, as you talked to Nancy, they evacuated, but they're back in operations there at the airport. Gulfport Biloxi International, they evacuated over 200 passengers, employees. Mm. Shortly thereafter, within five minutes, we got word that Stennis International, down there on the coast as well, also evacuated. And then Temple Benai Israel, a Jewish temple in Columbus, also had to be evacuated. So you wonder if they're related, airports and a, a Jewish synagogue, because you said in Oregon as well, right? A Oregon, um, we've seen some in Michigan, Idaho today. Um, also that included in that were yes. Jewish synagogues? And everything I'm hearing right now, all of the threats have been via email. And so email. It, it, it makes you wonder if everything's connected, especially when you bring in the synagogue aspect. You think about the dispute and conflict we have going on between Israel and Palestine, um, if this has something to do with that. Yeah, widespread protests across the country, uh, holding up traffic in uh, Manhattan. We talked about that yesterday. And then I believe uh, as well, I think after the show, Rhino, you may have seen it, uh, protest at uh, stymied traffic in the Los Angeles area, uh, right? I think you're shaking your head. So, yeah, I think that happened as well. So oh, yeah. people are acting crazy out there, and I wonder if this is all related. It's really hard to tell at this point. Yeah, it is hard to tell, but everybody we've spoken to that's been directly involved in some of these four locations that have seen threats this morning have either called it a nationwide threat or a wide-ranging threat. Okay. So they believe it's all connected. And, you know, we spoke to different senators beforehand. I think Senator Wicker may have come on with you, and you asked him, you know, what are we going to see regarding this conflict? Are we going to see anything that translates to America? And, uh, you know, so far, not any notable terrorist attacks or anything like that, but this could be the start of, uh, you know, some stuff kind of translating over here in terms of conflict. Have there been any statements released by federal authorities at this point that you've seen? Uh, the the only one that we've, rele- we've seen was uh, pretty much just the FAA saying that, you know, everything's good to go at Tupelo. Okay. They confirmed it. They said everything's good to go. Um, we've been in contact with them and local officials in terms of trying to flesh out all this. Yeah. And then when you bring in the synagogue, it makes you wonder what else we might see throughout the day. Of course, that mm. will all be tracked on supertalk.fm mm. and on our hourly newscast. But, man, what, what did we say? 18 bomb threats across Oregon yesterday, luckily all of which were hoaxes um, and nothing was tangible. Um, but you don't want to see anything really become tangible. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just you, there's there's overreacting and then there's underreacting and I think if you want to err on the side of of uh, caution and and conservative uh, uh, action you, you're gonna you're gonna do something to clear the area where there is a threat you have to yeah and I'm waiting to see if there's any other airports I have not heard anything from Jackson Medgar Evers Wally mm. yet uh, we'll see and we're, we're tracking it all. 
panel, man. Uh, I'm a little surprised that we're not seeing more about it in the national media. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm checking, not seeing anything. I know. I actually had to search bomb threat with the toggle tool of last 24 hours to get stuff nationally. Yeah. And we found that Oregon, Michigan, Idaho, Mississippi is just the latest trend. Yeah. 18 in Oregon yesterday, you said. Yes. And, you know, there's been times over the last couple of years where you've seen widespread bomb threats. Uh, an example that comes to mind is a couple of years ago we had HBCUs all across the nation, including in Mississippi, get a widespread threat. Uh, this seems to be the latest widespread threat, and the topic might be what's going on between Israel and Palestine. Unbelievable. And, you know, and I, I said earlier that uh, I, I have concerns about so many unknown individuals in terms of unknown of, uh, with respect to their identity that are uh, crossing our border and just being dispersed into the country. And even the FBI is warning uh, folks to be vigilant during their holiday travel. And this is on top of bomb threat hoaxes that happen all the time, yeah. you know, that does not it's have true. to do with anything like international conflict, like students. That's true. Um, it's just another layer, and we'll be tracking it all on supertalk.fm. Appreciate that, JT. Thanks for coming in. Yep. Folks, we're stepping aside for a break. It's top of the hour. That means the Fox News Super Talk News. We're coming back with an hour of talk. A lot of stuff to talk about, including the mayor of Boston, who is in a bit of hot water. And then at 12.05, it's Brad White, executive director of the Mississippi Department of Transportation. We'll get an update from uh, Brad. Stay with us. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone, it's middays. We are live in the Element Well studio on this Friday Eve. On the ceasefire text line, Thomas and McComb says, I'm listening to y'all's program right now. I enjoy Super Talk Radio. You and Rhino keep up the good work. Appreciate that. Really do, Thomas. Thanks for uh, being part of our audience. Really appreciate that. Gerard bomb threats the day after the governor lights a menorah. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, Mose. Uh, that is true. The governor did, uh, in celebration of Hanukkah yesterday, lit a, menor- a menorah, had a ceremony there at the Capitol. Um, but apparently, <clears throat> this is happening across the country. According, and It's been going on for a little while, it seems. Yeah. Okay. It's because crazy. Because we've got the ones in Mississippi today. Yep. We've had the reports from JT, from Super Talk Mississippi News, about the, the 18 bomb threats in Oregon. Yeah, crazy. I found more reports from Friday and over the weekend of hoax threats emailed to multiple school districts in Texas and Ohio. Man. Crazy, crazy. Uh, but so far, nothing, right? Nothing's actually occurred. Just threats. We don't have any information that indicates that any of these threats were actually acted upon. Correct. Okay. They were all hoaxes. All right. Um, You may know also that yesterday, uh, up there in Washington, the House of Representatives 
formalized a Biden impeachment inquiry. That vote was taken yesterday afternoon. All Republicans voted in favor of the resolution. It passed 221 to 212. And uh, House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer from Kentucky, who's really been running point on this whole matter, says President Biden must be held accountable for his lies, corruption, and obstruction. 14-page measure was drafted by, authored by Representative Kelly Armstrong, a Republican from North Dakota. It essentially calls for the House Ways and Means, Oversight and Accountability, and Judiciary Committees to continue their probe into President Biden's alleged involvement in a pay-for-play scheme while he was vice president, and even to some degree afterward, his his uh, son, of course, who was orchestrating all this, says that his father was not, quote, financially involved in his business matters. He said this vote is uh, really an attack on him. He also, of course, as you know, failed to appear as ordered via legal subpoena in front of the U.S. House. It's fun how the the language of the denial has changed. What's he saying now? Well, I mean, it started off with my, my father had no dealings with my business, and President Biden said I had no dealings with Hunter's business. Yeah. And then it became he had no insight into the business. And then yeah. it became... Well, he has no financial responsibilities. You keep wordsmithing it up to the point where, okay, what did he do? Because we have evidence that he was definitely talking to your business partners. He's a dang crook is what he is. And, and uh, how, how can you feel sorry? You, you said it yesterday. You articulated how can you feel sorry for a guy that is uh, – his, his matter is he failed to pay his taxes – He's got that problem out in California, and they're moving forward on that. Uh, but, of course, the the uh, call for him via subpoena to be deposed on the Hill deals with his alleged involvement, uh, or his father's alleged involvement, honestly. They're trying to get information from him. To Now, I, I guess you're asking someone potentially to testify against their father, but, you know, it doesn't matter. If you broke the law and your father, as the sitting vice president, broke the law, sold out his country, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's treason. It may not rise to that level from a legal perspective as we get into the details, but gosh, it sure does look like it to me. But instead of appearing as ordered in front of the House committee that would depose him, he decided to just stand there at, on the Capitol steps and and uh, really read statements that were drafted by his lawyer, is what he did, and it was just a big woe is me. Yeah, half woe is me, half shame on you, <laughs> which uh, I'll reiterate it. Forgive me for not really feeling sorry for a guy that spent close to a million dollars, if not a million dollars, on hookers. Uh, he emptied his daughter's college funds to buy crack cocaine. 
He was so addicted to crack cocaine that he was smoking cheese off the carpet. Uh, he hooked up with his sister-in-law after his brother's death. Uh, he got a stripper pregnant and then refused to pay child support. But yeah, Republicans have no shame. He's This is a bad dude. So, and again, you can't help but also compare and contrast this. And the Democrats are masters of this to a similar situation with Donald Trump Jr. How many times did he appear and testify? A lot. I don't think he defied any of those orders to appear. He did. We didn't learn squat as the Democrats thought they would as far as anything that uh, proved any any criminal activity on the part of his, his father, the president. But but in this case, and there's a, you've probably seen this, there's a short video going around from 2019 where Joe Biden is asked by a reporter, and I'm not exactly sure what it's in reference to, should there be consequences for a person who fails to appear before the Congress as ordered via subpoena. He says, and he said, yes, they should be held accountable. But I guess that doesn't apply to you when your name is Biden. And this is the double standard that just drives Americans crazy. I'm with them. It does me, too. In the meantime, up in San Francisco, a, a city that I'll have to admit I, I love. I, maybe it's loved. I have such fond memories of visiting the city so many times on, on business trips. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, you can't deny it. You just can't. The setting there is incredible. It's absolutely beautiful. It's, it's breathtaking. It's stunning. But yet, and they've got a huge, because of their, their stupid woke policies, they've got a huge homeless problem. They've got a huge drug problem. Uh, they, they've got crime out of control. But a San Francisco supervisor, he says, well, the problem is capitalism. He tells us, Supervisor Dean Preston, this, listen to this, economic misdirection. What is that? Meaning the money doesn't go the way you want to control it to go? That's led to larger homeless population in the city's Tenderloin neighborhood. I think what you're seeing in the Tenderloin is absolutely the result of capitalism and what happens in capitalism to the people at the bottom rungs. Oh, it's capitalism's fault. You know, free markets and stuff. That socialism works a lot better. We got a newly elected uh, president in, uh, in Argentina, the new president, and he's rapidly implementing shock economic measures because inflation under socialist policies is 143%. Heck, by the time you put something in your cart at the grocery store and check out, the price has gone up. That's how insane this is, but these people disgust me that blame every issue on people who have succeeded in a free market. It's their fault. 
And that's what this DEI crap is all about. So what would the the supervisor here, what would he do? Send me all your money and then I'll figure out who gets it? That's what they want. (laughs) He thinks he can better manage the economy. That's exactly what this is about. Hubris. And, and that's, honestly, selfishness. Unbelievable. So the homeless population is a result of your leftist policies, not capitalism. And the crazy thing is, jobs are plentiful. But you failed. You failed in education. You failed in law enforcement and, and punishing criminals taking proper action against them under the law, you failed in all of it. This, that's what caused the problem, not capitalism. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's midday. Super Talk Mississippi, the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Once again, we are in the Element Well studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth Help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Reminder, Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Transportation, Brad White, will be in the Element Well studio at 12.05. On the C Spire text line, Rhett in Ridgeland remarks, While I don't trust Squinty Joe further than I could chuck him, I believe that impeachments should wait until investigations reach strong conclusions. The burden of proof should remain on finding reasonable guilt of high crimes and misdemeanors. All right, so, Rhett, let's, let's think through this now. All they've agreed to is a, an inquiry. This is not a vote to impeach. It's a vote to proceed with an inquiry. And I think that's appropriate because they've been doing months of investigations, mainly overseen by... Oversight Committee Chair James Comer, and there is just a mountain, there are copious amounts of credible information that point to wrongdoing. It is incumbent upon the House Oversight Committee to investigate this further through an inquiry, and that's all that's happening here. Now, that inquiry begins with will begin with deposing various parties. One of those already stiffed. That'd be Hunter Biden. So, and remember that even though the House may conclude after further investigation through the inquiry process that that enough exists to impeach the President, that gets transmitted to the Senate and at that point, it dies. Same thing happened with Donald Trump. 
At that point, it dies. Because you, you've got to have two-thirds of that body, the upper chamber, to convict, which would result in removal from office. But there are folks doing calculations, political calculations, as on both sides right now. How might this affect the president and the respective parties? And, I, and it does appear, just based on paying uh, some attention to what the Oversight Committee has disclosed in their investigations, that there's lots of information that pretty much, I think, confirms that the president was engaged with his son in a pay-to-play scheme. I really do believe that. So, But I hear you. You don't want to jump the gun and get out over your skis, and I still believe strongly that we'll never have another president that uh, isn't impeached or at a minimum that there aren't calls for an impeachment and and uh, resolution to proceed, as, as is the case here, at least with an inquiry. I just think that's where we are, unfortunately, in the country. Let's see here. Ken from Pearl says, you sure are silent on the 700 historical gain in the Dow. It's Biden economics at work. Your candidate Trump never had it so good. And further proof is the decline in gasoline and oil prices. I paid $239 a gallon at Sunoco on Hugh Ward. Your thoughts of a few days ago were way off. Biden is making capitalism work. I'm sure there are a lot of wealthy investors happy with yesterday. So uh, I got a lot to, to say about that. Uh, the first is, I just hadn't gotten there yet. I promise. I fully intended and have on my list that subject to discuss today. All of this happened yesterday, by the way, after we got off the air. And I did announce, as you recall yesterday, as I almost always do, that uh, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell would be Delivering remarks, as he always does after the Federal Open Market Committee meets and decides how to act on interest rates. In this case, just as predicted, they did nothing. They kept them intact. But the big news that came out yesterday, and by the way, I, as I traditionally do, I watched, listened to the entire press conference. I find it fascinating. Some people think it's like, Watching grass grow, I guess, but uh, I've, I'm, of course, interested and curious about economic matters, and not just as for my own personal financial situation. I just think that's extremely important to the country. And uh, so I did listen, and, and what got the market churning upward is when he said to expect some rate cuts next year and the year following, and even the year following. So we're, we're looking at standing pat on the Fed funds rate range in the five, five and a half area. Uh, also, the 10-year bonds fell. Okay, so that's what happened. Let's be clear. That's what drove the stock market. It, uh, it, it did rise rather precipitously. It was not up 700 points yesterday. So that's not accurate. It, it did have a great day. No doubt about it. But what do you expect from a Biden supporter? Uh, exactly. So I mean, we got inaccuracies and a lack of nuance. It's it's pretty much par for the course. Well, and that's 
a problem because it's so hard to have meaningful discussions when you're not dealing with facts. You start out with inaccurate data, uh, and it's just kind of hard to, to get to have any, again, anything that would, would move the needle from a discourse perspective. All right, so uh, it was a good day. I admit that. Now, um, here, here's something I, I would encourage you to think about and respond to if you'd like, Ken. What specific Joe Biden policies resulted in this in this really uh, strong day for the Dow yesterday? What specific policies? Right? So Joe Biden has made it clear, and, and I, honestly, I will go even further than that. If the House had not transitioned to Republican control in 2022, in the midterms, Joe would have had the means to proceed with his other policies, economically speaking, most of which revolve around massive tax increases and redistribution through massive tax credits. Just in from this group, out to that group. So what specific policies? Now, it is true. There are a lot of wealthy investors happy yesterday, those who uh, have a fair amount of money deployed in the market. I was certainly pleased with uh, my accounts and uh, and the day it had, just as I'm not happy when I see them in the red. But I appreciate the fact that markets go up and down. So we're we're still not at the highs, the um, historical all-time highs, but certainly on the S&P and the NASDAQ. But, But no doubt. So again, what specific policies? So I submit that if Joe uh, Biden, when he got elected president, if he hadn't rammed through the American Rescue Plan and, more importantly, repealed Trump's policies, especially with respect to the border is a big area, and, and of course, fossil fuels production, simply because, exclusively because, they were President Trump's policies had nothing to do with what's in the best interest of the country or its people. It was all about, we just, we just got to go as far in the other direction from Trump because of this obsession with because the Because orange president. man bad. Pretty much it. No, it wasn't No logical rooted. argument, just orange man bad. So I ask again, what specific policies on the part of the Biden administration have caused this decrease in the price of oil. I can tell you why the price of oil is down. It's China. China's economy is struggling. And oil, despite what Democrats want you to believe, is a global commodity. It is traded on global exchanges. And so global supply and demand, not just supply and demand in one country, Dictate in this country specifically dictates the price we pay at the pump. The sharp decline in demand in China because their economy is buckling, it is struggling, and their demand you can go look all this up. I'm not making this data up, is down considerably. 
at the same time, OPEC is ramping up production to fix an overcorrection of theirs. They're trying to get more revenue, even though they know they're selling it at a, at a lower price point per unit. They're producing more units, and so there's more supply. Inventories have built up. All that is figured into, as it always does, the price of oil. And that's why we're experiencing a decrease there. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. So just back on this, it's always difficult, in my view, to attribute economic conditions to uh, a a single person, even if it's a president, that has, uh, of course, broad power, uh, arguably more than anybody else uh, in the country, be the conditions good or bad. A lot has to do with the rhetoric. In fact, sometimes I think the rhetoric and the ideas and the philosophy have a greater impact on the economy than do policies. And here's what I mean by that, and it's something we've discussed before. When you're a decision maker in the private sector, a lot of those decisions to invest, to expand, to hire, to take risk. They're based on your outlook for the future. And it's it's that faith, confidence, and certainty. That's it. Think about your own household. That's how you make those decisions in your household. When you're confident, when you in your your income, your expenses, your health. You have some degree of of clarity and certainty on that future. You'll make decisions. Those will guide your decisions. The same thing when you're making multi-billion dollar decisions. But in the case of Joe Biden, he constantly communicates his disdain for success, his contempt for it, his desire to tax the snot out of it. When they just got to start paying, just start paying their fair share. You hear that constantly. You're in the oil and gas industry, and what you hear out of Joe Biden constantly is we're going to shut down the fossil fuels industry. So even though it's true, and I just explain, and, and it's not just me that has this view here that the reason the price of oil is down, and that, of course, translates to lower prices at the pump, retail fuel, is primarily because China's economy is struggling and they're simply not consuming as much. And as Rhino pointed out, Saudi Arabia and OPEC, they thought that demand was going to be so robust and so elastic that they could just bump the price up, and they did. And then they started 
moderating and said, oh, well, we I don't know about that. And a, and a lot of that is because China isn't consuming as much. And so they start producing more so they can sell more, even at, at a lower price point. No doubt that that is the case. So this, the president will tell you, oh, yes, yeah, because I released whatever it was, 300,000 barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, what, a year and a half, two years ago? which was peanuts in the scheme of things. We consume 20 million a day, 19.5 million a day, in this country. And it, while it's true, and they'll point to production is up, that production being up was already in the works. It would be even greater, and thus the price lower, if he'd have just left it alone. If he would have just left the Trump policies in place, not shut, shut down the XL pipeline, Anwar in Alaska, not made it so dang difficult for new drilling. And that's, you've heard Donald Trump say on the campaign trails, first thing he'd do is reverse all those policies and drill, drill, drill. Said that in his town hall, been quoted a million times, said that in his town hall with Sean Hannity last week. Uh, And then, of course, as we've said so many times, making permanent the Trump tax cuts, which are scheduled to expire in twenty-five. That'll be the last year you'll enjoy lower taxes from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act passed in 2017. The Democrats and Biden, and Biden, should they be in charge? I pray that's not the case. They intend to not only let those tax cut provisions expire, but they're going to come at us with considerably higher taxes, again, tilted toward higher incomes. I think they're, what they're going to find out is that there ain't enough money to get there to accomplish their objectives. So again, anytime this comes up, it's the same thing under the Obama years, where the economy was, was, was decent, was pretty good. Back then, if you recall, Rhino, the big thing was unemployment. Usually, when you point to poor economic conditions, unemployment and folks out there trying to get jobs, that that's tops the list more so than inflation. And we have enjoyed low unemployment. What specific Joe Biden policies have contributed to the low level of unemployment, which existed during the Trump years as well? Somebody tell me, what specific policies? Was it the American Rescue Plan, which was just nothing but dropping helicopter money all over the place? I would submit that's why... Employers can't find workers because of all that helicopter money. He just had to do that, which was like putting gas on a fire with respect to inflation. It was that, more than anything, that drove inflation. Was it the infrastructure bill, which is just a trillion uh, and a half of money we don't have? for so-called infrastructure? Was it the Inflation Reduction Act, which is just chock full of a bunch of stupid credits for power panels and solar panels and water heaters and all that kind of crap? Uh, Was it that? Which also, by the way, has a minimum corporate tax, which I think has a negative impact on the economy and also has a stock buyback tax. That's Chuck Schumer's favorite. Was it that? Is that the reason? 
I, I can't figure that. I can't connect those dots from an economic perspective. So what specific policies? I would argue that the resiliency of the American economy is on display here. And it's doing well in spite of all of that. In spite of it. It could be doing much better. But here's the big thing that Americans are feeling. This is the metric that gets left out of these analyses often cited, advanced by folks on the left, Biden supporters, is that the cost of everything we buy from the time this guy took office to now is up by most economists accounting 20% or so. However, wages are only up 12. So you're upside down. It's called real wages. That's the piece that's missing. Whereas under Trump, it was almost the opposite, honestly. Except inflation wasn't nearly uh, at that 20%, uh, 18 to 20% over the Trump four-year term. But real wages went up considerably. Real wages under Biden, down. Have you found anybody in your circle that said, oh, yeah, uh, my wages are not only keeping up with inflation, they're outpacing it. I'm better off from that perspective. Compared to... You've either got to have your head in the sand or one of the, be one of the perpetually aggrieved minions to really sincerely believe you're doing better under Biden. Totally agree. Now, I'm pleased to see the markets uh, having a great run here. And, I, and honestly, I think this rally has legs. I think it's just getting going. And that's because the Fed says, yeah, it was the Fed, honestly, that uh, acted, I think, too late, thus caused more pain than was necessary, because remember how many months? Transitory. Transitory, including Biden's cabinet secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen, and their 400 Ph.D. economists that guide her. All said, oh, it's transitory, because they wanted to lick Biden's boots, is what it was. That's all that's about. Uh, but so now we've got a situation where Fed Chairman Powell says, yeah, I, I think we've got this under control. Looks good. And uh, the outlook is for rate reductions. Got an update. It's a good thing. Yeah. We were talking about the uh, bomb threats at the air, yes. airports in Tupelo and one at Gulfport Biloxi. The one at Gulfport Biloxi was taking a little longer to complete the security sweep. But as of... 15 minutes ago now, okay. the two-and-a-half-hour two and closure has come to an end. Okay. So out of, a, out of an abundance of caution, they closed it down and did the security sweep, but they've been given the all-clear, and the airport has reopened for business. Okay, good to hear that. Great to hear that. Let's see here. Another reason is the winter months. People don't travel as much, and also the winter blend fuel is, treat, is cheaper. That's absolutely correct. Although, still, though, the price of oil, I mean, you can't deny that. It's come down. Daily travel is down, but yeah. travel longer distances is usually up in the winter months. But again, the, the key metric is that, that barrel price, and it, yeah. and it is down. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but, but here's the thing that I, that I didn't mention earlier. If China's economy gets back on track, you'll see it rise again. That's just the way it works. And so this taking victory laps at any point in time... 
uh, you know, about that particular subject. I think it's misguided. What we need is more supply. Coming right back. Stay with us. Three. Come on. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Back with you in the Element Well studio. Everything gets moved by trucks which burn diesel, which costs dollars on the ceasefire tax line. Absolutely. So, um, you know, we we still we talk about the the price of oil, and that um, that is uh, is down. There's no doubt about that, and that should translate to lower cost of diesel. Uh, it, it hasn't come down to the extent that uh, regular gas has, but certainly that'll be a factor. Rhino, I think their head is in the sand. I think it's up in orifice, says Dan in Hattiesburg. <laughs> what about windmills going up south of Tunica along with solar farms on the ceasefire tax line? Not sure what they're talking about other than I just mentioned that the, the the big legislative victories, if you could call it that, under Biden or the American Rescue Plan, the CHIPS Act, the Infrastructure Bill, and the Inflation Reduction Act. Again, the CHIPS Act's just giving money to very wealthy corporations in an effort to woo them to create chips over here as opposed to abroad. Just give them money to do that. The only problem is the bill includes poison pills that make it unaffordable to make those chips in America and sell them at a price that would be competitive. Absolutely true. It's it's uh, hey, we'll give you this money if you'll operate this company in accordance with our whims, most of which include and are rooted in all the DEI nonsense. Which just goes to show they don't really understand why chip manufacturing has not really grown as much in America compared to other countries. Exactly right. You may have seen Boston Mayor Michelle Wu. <laughs> She's in a that bit of story. trouble. <laughs> Jeez. She, uh, she had a holiday party for, quote, electeds of color. And she sent out, this was at the city's official re- reception hall. This was yesterday. Well, she intended to send an invitation out to only those who would be included uh, because they are elected officials of color. But unfortunately, it also went to the white elected officials who were excluded. So is it not fair to say, uh, to, to reimagine the E and DEI as diversity exclusion? I, I'm not going to use equity anymore. I'm going to call it exclusion because that's what it is. It's, it's all about exclusion. So this got out, and of course the city council there is comprised of six minority and seven white folks. 
I want to apologize for my previous email regarding a holiday party for tomorrow. This is what she wrote in her follow-up. I did send that to everyone by accident, and I apologize if my email may have offended or come across as so sorry for any confusion. So she's not apologizing for the fact that she excluded white people. I was about to ask, are they still having the party? I don't know. She's apologizing for the fact that her email, which was intended to invite and to be delivered to only electeds of color, also went to electeds of non-color, of white people. I, I swear the whole DEI thing is the biggest hoax. It's the biggest joke. It, it exhibits again just as this did. And by the way, the email was sent by Denise Dos Santos, who's the director of city council relations, on behalf of the mayor. And of course, I'm looking at the email. You've already guessed it. In her signature, Ms. Dos Santos has, in parentheses, she, her, hers as her pronouns. Of course, you got to have that information, right? Is she allowed to bring her husband? I don't know. Because she's married to a white dude. I saw that. I absolutely saw that. Um, She, of course, is a a black female. She was of Asian descent. Oh, well, maybe you're right. Uh, I'm looking at the thumbnail, and I can't really tell. So, But, of course... Yeah, Michelle Wu. Oh, I'm talking about the person who sent the email. On behalf of Mayor Wu. Oh, yeah, they make a big deal out of that. I think she's got black in her as well. If I'm not mistaken, she's Ah. black and Asian. Oh, that's huge. I mean, it's jackpot. Ding, 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 ding. She's black, Asian, and female. I wonder what her sexual orientation is. I mean, that's like, that's not the trifecta. That's the quad. (laughs) Check multiple boxes. Winner, winner, chicken for dinner in that situation. This identity stuff, these people, these DEI zealots, they are the most intolerant, engage in more discrimination, more exclusion than any other group in this country. It's despicable. It's time for Fox News and Super Talk News. It's noon in Mississippi. We're coming right back with Brad White, Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Transportation. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's hour three of middays. We are live in the Element Well studio. The afternoon portion is with you now on this Friday Eve. We welcome to the program Brad White, Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Transportation. Always good to see you, Mr. Executive Director. Thanks for coming in. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. 
We'll start out by just giving us a brief update on uh, what's going on there at uh, the Department of Transportation. I've certainly seen uh, lots of projects going on across the state, and several, thankfully, that have been uh, completed, uh, thus really improving uh, our routes and, and our experience yeah. on the roads. Yeah. You know, we uh, were able to start back our capacity program, which are the large projects that people see that in, increases the efficiency of our roadways, turning two lanes into four lanes, bypasses, things of that nature. And being able to fund those projects have, have, is kind of a breath of new life to the department. It's kind of what we were meant to do that, and of course the rehabilitation and maintenance of our existing system. But just this last commission meeting, we were able to award a contract on I-10 down in Hancock and Harrison County. We were uh, working on Highway 49 again in Harrison County. Uh, moving forward, we're looking at Highway 15 in Tippa County, Highway 19 in Neshoba County, and, and the list will go on that hopefully over the next year you'll see a repetition of, of awards that'll start on putting those types of contracts under uh, underway. Okay, so h- help us understand uh, Brad, where your agency has responsibility from from the roads perspective, and which roads are under the uh, the purview of the counties and cities? Where, where does that kind of start start and stop? State highways and interstates are ours. Okay. So if you anything with a number that's a state route or a U.S. route or an interstate route, that's our responsibility. And most okay. of the time, if it's got some type of a name or a county road number applied to it, that's going to be the county or the municipality uh, that, that has that. But if it's a interstate highway, a United States highway, or a, a SR, like 13, which are a lot of the two-lane highways yep. in the state, if it's a state route, that's, that's ours. We have about a $65 billion asset that the taxpayers have of okay. uh, highways and bridges around the state that we have to maintain and, and re- rehabilitate to make sure that the system is is uh, staying up to par as best we can. And then we have a, another list of capacity projects, which are identified uh, construction projects that are needed in order to keep the route uh, efficient to handle the traffic. Okay. And, uh, you know, that, that needs list is it probably exceeds $7 billion at this point. Okay. I, I think it's always good to discuss uh, just kind of the, the economic model of the Department of Transportation, uh, primarily the, the uh, funding sources, uh, yeah. some federal, yeah. some state, well, state from our fuel tax. Yeah. We, uh, we're a state agency, but really we're a state entity that has to implement a federal program. Okay. And so what we run is a reimbursement program of sorts. Uh, we have uh, a partnership with the Federal Highway Administration. Congress authorizes them every five years and sets what their budget will be in each of the 50 states. Uh, we get somewhere in the neighborhood of $3.5 billion of federal money that's made available to us over that five years. That's not counting the state funds that we get. We're okay. normally about a, a fi- almost a 50-50 split okay. between, between federal state and, state. and federal. Uh, and, but the way that, that what we do works is we spend our state money up front doing the maintenance or the construction or whatever our, our the need is at the time, working with the Federal Highway Administration to make sure that we're doing it to their standards and following their regulations, and then they reimburse us whatever federal portion of that money should be. Okay. So we try to keep around $150, $160 million in the bank. That's kind of like... Uh, the water in a river, it's not the same money today that it was yesterday <laughs> or will be then. Money's constantly yeah. flowing out and flowing in Sure, uh, if we're doing things right. And that's how we uh, build and maintain everything that we've done. About 
12 years ago, I guess it was, the former commission had to make the decision to stop all of the capacity projects, the bypasses or the four-laning of highways or, or other things like that that would help the flow of traffic move more efficiently and safely because of a funding breakdown that we had. There wasn't enough money there to meet our required maintenance on our existing system and at the same time try to be forward thinking in the enhancements that need to be made to the system. Okay. And so they put a moratorium of sorts on those types of projects to devote all the money toward uh, the maintenance of our existing system. But thanks to uh, the last uh, reauthorization of Federal Highway, Mississippi received about a billion dollars extra of, of federal money made available to us over that five-year period, which allowed us to divert about 100, 115 million a year to those types of projects again to to restart them. And the legislature has been extremely helpful in getting engaged in that program as well as the maintenance to try to put state money there, additional state dollars there, that would allow projects that uh, were brought to a point where it was time to award a contract to go on and fund them and get them out of the way to try to get the conveyor belt of projects off and running. Yeah. So between the last two sessions, we've received somewhere in the neighborhood of about $800 million from the legislature outside of the fuel tax fuel and thing. federal things to try but, to help But that didn't that. come out of the general fund, did it? No, this was a lot of the surplus. It was a lot of uh, the extra money that the okay. state had by virtue of just uh, prosperous times, I guess you'd say, okay. economically. So it's just a cash transfer, essentially, right. a balance sheet transaction. And, and I think they were smart in how to do it since it was one-time money. They were like, well, we're not going to just put one-time money on a reoccurring expense that sure. we're going to have. But we can put one-time money on a one-time expense and try to get these projects built. Okay. Gotcha. But uh, – you know, I know sooner or later uh, good times are going to yeah. fade away to the point that resources are going to be a little more scarce. And so hopefully we'll begin this next session with a conversation about what does the funding model need to look like to make sure this core function of government is properly funded to deliver to the taxpayers what they need in the way of uh, infrastructure, uh, but do so in a, in a financially responsible way sure. as well. Gotcha. So what about uh, the next uh, legislative session? What are you going to be talking to them about then? Well, I asked for three things when I met with the lieutenant governor the other day. They were kind enough two years ago to refrain from earmarking our federal program. And the importance of that is, again, playing this reimbursement uh, game or this the implementation of the federal program. Our staff does a really good job of managing those different buckets of money that come down from the federal government and making sure that we're maximizing the use of the federal dollars in a way that when left unencumbered, we get to the end of the fiscal year and we have enough money then to ask for additional obligation authority, which results in additional money. And when the legislature in previous years would earmark that program, it would remove that flexibility. So it would hamper our staff's ability to play the shell game in the most strategic of ways uh, to where we could take advantage of asking for additional obligation authority at the end of the year. Two years in a row, though, that they've refrained from doing that, we've been able, I believe, to prove that that was a wise decision on their part. And this year we were able to request from the feds and receive another $100 million, roughly, of obligation authority, which will result in additional federal dollars. Uh, Second, I've asked them to keep uh, my authority there to continue adjusting salaries within the department. Uh, That was something that hit us in a a bad way and that salaries had not been adjusted in years and we were losing people. 
and the importance of that to the taxpayers is those are the positions that when there are potholes or guardrails that need fixing or, or, or any type of routine work that you would have from a constituent services standpoint or, or clogged culvert, anything like that, these are the teams of people that are dispatched around the state to do that work. These are our first responders that when tornadoes are there or hurricanes are there, these are the people that are clearing the roadways so the ambulances and the police and everybody else can get through to the folks that need those services. And when I became director, I think our starting pay was right around $18,000 a year. Well, you can't provide for a family on that. And uh, and then on the engineering side, when the 87 four-lane was, program was passed, a lot of the pre-construction work, the roadway design, the bridge, the, those types of things, we were able to do it in-house. And we were able to do it a lot uh, less expensive than some of the consulting firms that you'd have to farm it out to. Now, you know, due to the reduction in staff and the inability to maintain staff, we probably spend $70 million a year on consulting firms to help us do what the department used to do themselves. Mm. So paying a competitive wage for us allows us to build a team of people that can do the work in a way that is at a cost savings for the, the taxpayer, and I believe that we've been able to show that as well over the last two years. Okay. And then the final one is just reoccurring revenue. The one-time money is great to have, but it's no way to run a construction program, especially when your federal model is one of reimbursement like that. And identifying some stream of revenue that we can count on is going to be pivotal in our ability to move forward. And I think that can be accomplished without raising taxes, if done right. Okay. Because, uh, in, fa- in fact, if you can hang around, we can uh, dig into that a little bit further. Sure. We'll yeah, like we that. got uh, Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Transportation, Brad White, in the Element Well Studio. We're coming right back. stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk Mississippi. Back with you in the Element Well studio is Brad White, Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Transportation. So, you know, the, the subject, Brad, comes up a lot about uh, increasing the fuel tax that uh, there's been talk about uh, a ballot measure to do that. It's been discussed extensively in our, in our legislature. Last week, Commissioner Willie Simmons, who's the Central District Transportation Commissioner, was on uh, Mr. Gallo's show, and and he, uh, as he typically does, he, he called for an increase uh, in the fuel tax. Now, it is fair to point out that ours is the second lowest, I believe, in the nation. Only Alaska, uh, last I checked, is behind uh, Mississippi uh, at, what are we, 18.7 cents? Uh, state, yeah. Is that right? Okay. Right. And I think California is almost 70 cents on the other end of the spectrum there. 
And I, and I think the question that comes up a lot for, for taxpayers is, is is revenue? I mean, we all agree that we got to have sufficient amount of revenue to, to ensure that our transportation infrastructure is adequate, uh, if for nothing else, from an economic uh, perspective. It's, it's critical right. to economic growth. There's always the question, though, is can we make some adjustments in the operating model from an expenditure perspective to, uh, to produce more? Uh, to, to do more from that agency's uh, vantage point without just defaulting to this raise taxes. Right. Well, for a hundred years, that's the way our transportation system in the state was funded was primarily through, uh, you know, fuel tax revenue and other adjustments that were made er- early on. Uh, there's, it's been 35 years since they've adjusted it, and I'm sure there's room for conversation as to whether or not that 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 should be considered. But I reject the notion that that's where this conversation should begin. I think that it's government's role and responsibility to fund core functions of government and to do so, you know, to live within their means, to do so with the money they've got. And I believe that there's revenue there that would allow for the core functions of government to be funded without having to raise people's taxes. And so I think the conversation should start from where within the funding sources that we have now could we find adequate funding that can be a reliable, dedicated stream of revenue uh, to, f- to fund this program that, that we have. And, you know, just to throw out some ideas, I mean, you've got gaming revenue, you've got use tax revenue, portions of that is, are already obligated to various uh, things and diverted to fund them, most of which are transportation-related, whether it's state aid or to the local governments, yep. highway sinking fund. Uh, I don't know why you wouldn't look at some of the unobligation, unobligated portions of those types of funds uh, before they would go to the general fund and say, well, why don't we uh, look at diverting those funds into these specific purposes to fund this core function of government? And it would generate, I think, last year the unobligated portions of those two funds were close to $300 million, which would that plugs a pretty big hole. Mm-hmm. Well. There's two things there. One, you've got to have the conversation of how do we fund it, what model we're going to use, what, how do we generate the fund in a reliable way to do that, and then how do we give it to the department where the taxpayers can be confident that it goes to the projects, that it's spent where it's needed. And so two years ago, we had funds created at the Department of Finance and Administration that, as you know, reports to the governor, right. not to the commission or right. me or anybody. And there's an MDOT a capacity fund there, a paving maintenance fund, a federal match fund that the legislature can send money and has sent money to that by force of law, 100% of those dollars, when they're drawn down and spent, go to whatever type of construction that that account calls for. I'm not allowed, nor is the Transportation Commission allowed to put a penny of it on a building or a salary or a piece of equipment or a vehicle or, or anything. So any money that goes there... Everyone can be confident that when it's drawn down, it goes to the rehabilitation of a part of our existing system or the building of a new part that's been identified through the criteria of our law. Yeah. And so hopefully that I'm hopeful that that's a big step in giving those in the legislature the comfort needed to sit down and say, okay, now we know that we've got a way to get the money to exactly where it needs to go and we don't have to worry about MDOT doing something else with it. And hopefully we have uh, enough uh, ideas to throw onto the table just to begin a conversation that would say, how can you fund this without us automatically looking at an increase in tax? Now, I would tell you that I think that at the end of the day, there's not going to be an answer that that fits into just one round hole. There may be 
multiple areas that we have to look at to address the various needs sure. that we have because our world is different now than it was 35 years ago when the fuel tax was last uh, adjusted. Just yeah. keep this in mind. 35 years ago when the 87 four-lane program was drafted, or now I guess that's 36 years ago or more, that whole program was identified to only cost $640 million. <laughs> we just awarded a project in Jackson County for a 10-mile stretch of road that's going to cost $212 million in today's dollars. Yeah. So, I mean, the the cost of things go up. You can sure. look at our maintenance budget now, and, and it's flatlined with what we're paying, but the cost of asphalt's higher. The labor force costs higher on a contractor. So the tonnage that we're using is going down. Yeah. Um, so there is a need for that, but I, I, I do think that there's some conservative, physically responsible ways that the legislature and those of us interested in this can have the conversation about how do we come up with a stream of revenue in a way that we can pay for it out of out of what we have now. Makes sense. And and we should also point out, uh, Mr. Executive Director, that if you designate these these pots of money uh, accordingly, by, by statute in particular, that's subject to audit by the auditor. So that money has to be spent for that express purpose. It can't be spent. And if it is, then there's a problem, that's obviously, exactly that would right. result from the audit. So you've got to check there, and that's the that's only exactly point right. I want to make. It doesn't end up being a, a black hole slush fund, uh, which is always a risk. And right. so I, I like the idea. Right. And and keep in mind, it still has the interface with our federal program. Yeah. So the Federal Highway Administration is still watching how the money is okay. spent to make sure that it's being spent in accordance with their regulations and their standards and their rules. Makes sense. So uh, uh, just because it's state money doesn't mean that we the commission has the ability to do whatever they want to with it. We still have to build things to a, a standard that's required by the U.S. government. Makes sense. And, and it's uh, similar to the way uh, lottery proceeds are allocated. As right. you know, we got the first $80 million goes to the state highway fund. Legislature never touches it. It doesn't get commingled in the general fund. It's sitting there in the state highway fund. And then the commissioners in the, the Department of Transportation draws down on that from the state treasury. Exactly right. And the commission, when that began, made the decision that they were going to devote 100% of that to the rehabilitation of two-lane highways that, when funds are limited, sometimes can get left aside through our federal program. Yeah. And so I think we've rehabilitated, you know, getting close to probably 3,000 miles of two-lane highway around the state that was needed yeah. uh, thanks to that revenue stream. But the way that we're able to program that out is because we know that $80 million is coming every year. Very so contractors point. are able to build out because of it. We're able to plan out. You can't run a major construction program on just one-time money. Yeah. Uh, and so the good news is, though, that everyone in, under the Capitol Dome has shown – kind of the old saying, they put their money where their mouth is, that they're supportive of infrastructure improvements. Sure. But they want it responsibly. They want us to be accountable, which we should. And they want it done in a common sense way. And they want the product delivered to the people as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Sure. And the best way for us to be able to do that is with a dedicated, reliable source of income that allows us to plan and allows us to then work that plan. Okay. So is this is this something you're going to continue to discuss with the legislature? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. We've got great partners. Uh, Senator Branning mm -hmm. uh, from Philadelphia, yeah. Jennifer Branning, has been just the strongest advocate that you could ever ask for for infrastructure. I would agree. We look forward to working with uh, Representative Massengill, who was vice chairman of the committee uh, the last four years and is one of our leading supporters on the House side. Both uh, the speaker designee Jason White. Uh, 
he was in every meeting that I ever had with Speaker Gunn, you know, about our needs and was always supportive in trying to do it. He'd hold you accountable. He'd want it done in a common sense way, but he was always supportive. And, of course, Governor Hoseman, uh, we talk almost on a weekly basis. He's, it's always on the forefront of his mind and trying to address those infrastructure needs again in a way that requires the department to be uh, accountable. So I feel like there's an opportunity there for those types of conversations, and hopefully we can provide from the department standpoint enough common sense ideas to at least start the conversation and then where it goes from there is up to those that have the power of the pen. What about uh, the massive infrastructure bill uh, passed at the federal level, I think 1.9 trillion if I'm not mistaken. Do you have a feel for how much of that Mississippi will receive and is, is that money starting well, flowing? Keep in mind that, 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 that was, there was a lot of confusion around that bill okay. because the part of that bill that was important to MDOT that was the part of the bill that Senator Wicker was involved in was the reauthorization of the Federal Highway Tell me Administration. About that. Yeah. So that's three and a half billion for us, and it was phenomenal. Without it, we would not have been able to meet uh, all the things that we've been able to do. Uh, so a lot of the rest of that that was fluff, you know, really doesn't deal with the Department of Transportation. I got you. But I the, got you. the part that was dealt with the Federal Highway Administration, I don't know what we've done without it. Okay. I mean, it, it was a really good part, and it was the part that made common sense. Anybody that looked at that portion of the bill would have liked what they saw. Appreciate you clarifying that for us. Brad White, Executive Director of Mississippi Department of Transportation, has been our guest. Always good to see you. Thanks Always for coming in. You, you have a Merry you. Christmas, you a great too. New Year, and I'm sure we'll be seeing you around some more. Looking forward to it. Yep. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well studio. With Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk, Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is middays. We are live in the Element Well studio, and we are grateful. You join us today. I don't know, Thomas. It's unbelievable. Um, the questions that he asks uh, about making cuts. Uh, you know, um, I, I'm not really sure who the proper parties would be to really investigate the Department of Transportation or any agency for that matter as far as the, the most efficient operating model. But you you got to always be leery of just paper documents that make recommendations. Um, you, you've got to be more realistic and practical about that sort of stuff. And that's what I would say. Is the state money he's talking about getting, does that include lottery money? Yeah. I thought millions from the lottery went to the highway system. Yeah, the, the budget, what is it, Rhino? Now, it's over a billion dollars a year. Uh, the State Department of Transportation, when you look at combined federal and state money, the lottery proceeds are $80 million. They're, they're, they're certainly uh, significant with respect to projects that can be uh, funded with that money, but as a part of the overall budget, it's, um, you know, it's a relatively small amount, but certainly it's very much welcome and it has been put to good use. But it's $80 million a year. 
I'm pretty sure the budget is actually north of a billion dollars. I think it's approaching $2 billion okay. at this point. So uh, it's been a year or so since I've looked at it, uh, a couple of years. But all right, so approaching $2 billion. That's combined, federal, state. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking about $80 million of that. Nearly $2 billion budget is funded by the, the lottery, lottery proceeds. Interesting. Uh, I don't know about the. I didn't see this this text, and I apologize for that. Sometimes when you're in the midst of an interview, it's kind of hard to go back and forth. Uh, can you ask if there's non-emergency EOT number to report debris hazard like blown out 18-wheel tire tires from Jeff in Forest County? What is the recommendation there when you have those kind of situations? I don't know about being in the uh, outside of a municipality. I've encountered those situations in a municipality where I've made those reports, but I don't know uh, beyond that what you do just on an interstate or state highway where you're not uh, traveling on a county. I'm sure that MDOT has some some phone number, some contact information. We'll see if we can find out about that. I asked Brad about a good raise for MDOT employees instead of nickel and dime, quarter of 50 cents. I mean, I think that's all a function of money go- coming in and money going out. And, of course, you got the same situation with all state employees that, uh, of course, were not part of the recent raise that went to teachers. Uh, that was pretty significant. And so that, I feel like, is something that the legislature is going to discuss and that would be a wage increase for um, uh, for state employees outside of teachers. Which the did. phone number to report road conditions to MDOT is one eight six six five two one MDOT. Again, yep. that number is one eight six six five two one six three six eight. Yep. Got it. Um, appreciate that, Rhino. So there's some questions about some specific roadways in the state. My recommendation, um, not sure what you feel, Rhino, would be to contact the commissioner's office. If you're dealing with, like we have a text here about uh, a road uh, 49 in Hattiesburg, my recommendation would be to, to contact the commissioner, the South Mississippi uh, Southern District Transportation Commissioner, uh, rather than the headquarters Department of Transportation, because a lot of that sort of stuff is handled, is managed at that level. I think you would find that to be the best resource for uh, that particular uh, information. Also, I got uh, yeah, I got eight six six five two one six three six eight. Is that the same number you got? Okay. Yep. So a friend of mine that. Uh, Works with the Transportation Commissioner in the North, John Caldwell, just sent a text to that effect. He's listening to us. So appreciate that. Good good information. Um, yeah, so there's there's more questions about can we do this, that, and the other, and I appreciate those for to roadways, but I, I don't think that's um, the sort of questions for the, the uh, executive director. I really believe you're, you're better served by directing those questions to the specific uh, transportation commissioners for those districts that handle those sorts of matters. Uh, and of course, we've got um, we got John Caldwell in the north. We got Willie Simmons in uh, the central district, and then we just had a a change um, in the southern district. 
uh, Transportation Commissioner, is Charles Busby, I believe. So I would um, I would contact those respective offices for that information. I, I think it makes the most sense of all. But I appreciate Brad coming in. He's I think he's doing a, a great job at the uh, at the Department of Transportation. And um, he, he takes a business-like approach to running that agency, which I think is so desperately needed. But, you know, it's a lot of money involved. But, of course, it's a com- combined federal and state. And as he points out, they are subject to federal guidelines in much of their operations and how they spend their, uh, their money. And uh, so that's a big deal. Let's see here what else we got on the ceasefire text line. I'm not sure. Johnny West Point Star HP. Okay, I think is that the a number you can call for um, some sort of emergency situation. Seems like that is right for the Highway Patrol. Interesting. Gerard, I have a question. Is the state money he's talking about? Getting does that include lottery money? Yeah. So again, I just want to to uh, make sure that's understood. That's eighty million dollars. The lottery funds that are transferred to the uh, Department of Transportation. It is, uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's relatively small uh, as it uh, compares to the the total budget. But I mean, eighty million dollars can pay for a lot of projects. It's just a big budget with. Uh, and as Brad pointed out, we've got significant value of assets to take care of, and it costs money to do that, and those costs have gone up, of course, quite a bit. I'm working a state job. There are probably seven or eight state employees that are on the job. Rarely they ever get out of their truck. Also, every one of them have a separate truck, says Greg in Newton, Mississippi. I, my recommendation, Greg, would be to to uh, contact your uh, your state representative and senator and express your concerns and, and let them take it from there. Uh, I think that's the best way to address that, call attention to it, maybe get something done. Oh, uh, let's see. What um, what are you saying here, Thomas? I've done all that and they won't answer. Okay. I don't know what else to tell you then. Just keep trying, I guess. So, um, something I caught yesterday kind of changing subjects altogether is uh, just this explosion of artificial intelligence that is occurring in the country and, frankly, in the world. Oracle yesterday, Oracle, really the the commercialization of of database technology uh, really came from Oracle. I think it's fair to say Larry Ellison, the founder of that company, and pretty much the back-end database engine for almost all major applications we all use is powered by Oracle. They have announced that there's so much demand for their cloud-based artificial intelligence tools. They have 66 data centers, 66. They plan to build 100 more. A hundred more data centers. That is incredible. So that's that's billions and billions of dollars. And they say that this is just to keep up with, with demand. Ellison said, quote, we're building our own public regions-based 
on direct customer demand, and then we're building partner regions, regions as in uh, data center instances, if you will, like the 20 centers for Microsoft. The combination of the two adds up to 100. Wow. So public regions and, and partner regions, uh, 100 data centers. I'm having a hard time comprehending that. He said that their cloud revenue, including infrastructure and software, grew 24%, reaching $4.8 billion. Infrastructure accounted for $1.6 billion. That was a 50% year-over-year increase. And so what he means by infrastructure is companies that are developing their own software, uh, likely to include artificial intelligence integrated into it. They're using Oracle's uh, IT infrastructure. That would be their servers, their network, their storage, uh, their operating systems, their management tools, and their AI tools, databases, etc. They're using all of what Oracle provides as a service, if you will. It's called Infrastructure as a Service, IaaS. That's uh, it's a subscription-based type service. It's it's um, good business for the company. Markets like it, but this is exciting because it represents major investments. And a lot of people are going to benefit from that. Final segment on middays when we return. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. It's middays. We're in the Element Well studio. Today on In the Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear an interview with Ricky Matthews of Super Talk Outdoors. In the Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by Superior Catfish. Remember, there's catfish, then there is Superior Catfish. It's U.S. farm raised catfish with homegrown flavor. Ask for it by name at your favorite store or restaurant and go to superiorcatfish.com for more information. By the way, Brad White is the best thing that has happened at our agency since I have been here, says Neil from Pontotoc. Appreciate that. Uh, but, Neil, uh, I appreciate your feedback. So I, I always ask, and I hope it's okay that um, whenever – the executive director, Brad, comes on the program just to give us a review of kind of a lesson and the operating model of the agency, in particular uh, its sources of revenue, how those revenues are allocated, audited, etc. cetera, um, because I, I think that's kind of misunderstood, I would say, Rhino. I don't know that a lot of people realize that's not part of the general fund. So whenever we, we discuss general fund figures, we're not talking about our infrastructure, which, is, as Brad likes to point out, is a core function of government. I believe that as well, that it is a core function of government and that um, necessarily it, it should be prioritized as part of, of our funding process. But unfortunately, we end up at the federal level and the state level seeing lots of our tax money get allocated for other purposes. 
and which stray away from the core function of government. That's always the, the debate, is it not, when you think about just where the money goes and uh, certainly at the federal level, the production of deficits and surpluses and and we get into all these squabbles. Look no further than this debate that's happening on the Hill in Washington right now about the border versus Ukraine. And the Democrats insist that you want border funding, you got to give us more for Ukraine. And and uh, and actually, they won't even agree to that. They're they're contesting that Republicans are holding funding for Ukraine hostage to what really is a core function of government, and that's securing our border. Giving money to Ukraine is not a core function of government. Now, they may argue it's necessary to keep the nation safe from bad actors, uh, Russia being one of those, but uh, the biggest problem I have, and I think most people have, is where the heck's all that money going? There's just not a, a clear, transparent accounting of the money, what, $113 billion we've already sent uh, to Ukraine. And I think that's what really upsets people. And, and they don't seem to want to come forward and give us that accurate accounting that I could tell. Just, you got to give us more now. And I think that's a big old problem. So um, we talked earlier about this Michelle Wu from uh, Boston the mayor of Boston, and how she sent this email invitation out to elected colored officials, but uh, where, where white elected officials in her office are noticeably omitted and not invited so much for the diversity and inclusion efforts. Well, the president of Harvard that we've spent some time talking about, and, and frankly has gotten massive national attention after the three presidents, Harvard, MIT, and University of Pennsylvania, testified on the Hill last week and just seemingly unable to declare and state that the anti-Semitism behavior on their campuses, respectively, violates their code of conduct. Well, yesterday, Claudine Gay, the embattled Harvard president, attended a campus menorah lighting for Hanukkah, for the Jewish community. Now, this was, of course, the day she learned she was retaining her job, or the day after she learned she was going to be retained as the president of the expensive <laughs> Ivy League institution. You know, okay, and she and what'd you say? She's holding like a tiki lan- lantern or something here, right? Yeah, she lit it with a tiki torch. <laughs> a tiki torch. Which after Charlottesville, I was told that's racist. That's a <laughs> they ra- a racist dog whistle if you have yourself pictured with a tiki torch. Oh my gosh, all that stuff is so crazy. Uh, something else that it's almost happened. Almost like ninety percent of it's made up on the spot. I think that's absolutely true. Uh, there was another crazy story I found. Let's see if I can find it. But it had to do with uh, a high schooler, I believe, who who got a, a bad grade or got points taken off because they said, answered the question, can only women get pregnant in the affirmative? And apparently that's the wrong answer. And... Um, <laughs> They got their grade taken off. I'm laughing because the whole thing, yes, the Seattle high schooler marked it incorrectly. The question, 
only women can get pregnant, said, yeah, that's right. Well, they, they got that one wrong, according to the teacher. We're out of here today. We are going to be down in Hattiesburg tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.